0: And if you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, turn me to to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Um, And as we look to God's Word, just kind of a a side note, I just want to offer just a a word of appreciation. Uh, I know uh, Nathan mentioned that I am a, a chaplain in the United States Air Force. Uh, but prior to that, I was a pastor for for several years, and uh, came on active duty through that process as God was leading and calling. But when we moved to to San Antonio, it was a bit of a transition. And uh, one of the really God's blessings in that transition was that uh, that God united our family with with you, our brothers and sisters in Christ here at Calvary Hills, and. And it's been a good transition for our family, for, uh, for Liz and the kids. And so I just want to say thank you just from the bottom of my heart for that as well. Um, but let's go ahead and dive into God's Word this morning. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be looking in verse 1 to verse 5. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priest and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather as brothers and sisters in Christ to worship you, to praise you, Lord, to behold your glory. Father, you alone are worthy of worship. You alone are worthy of our praise. And Father, we ask that this morning as we gather, as we hear your word, as you speak truth into our lives through the the power of your Holy Spirit, but Lord, by the inspiration of your word, that it would cause us to be encouraged by what our Savior Jesus Christ has done, but Lord, we would also walk away transformed and renewed in you. Father, this is Your Word, Your perfect Word. Lord, the grass may wither and fail, but Lord, Your Word remains forever. Your Word is truth. Your Word is life. And may Your Word speak truth and life to us this morning. We ask this in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. This morning, as we gather, this is this is Palm Sunday, and as we gather on Palm Sunday, it's reminding and looking back to that moment when Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem. That triumphal entry, he comes, and as he comes in, it's the 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 people are praising him and celebrating. There's this adulation of welcoming him as the the king of kings, the the lord of lords. They're they're welcoming this king who is coming into the city, and and as he comes, he comes with the purpose to deliver. He comes with the purpose to be the victor, but is the one who would be the victor as the, the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. You notice as we read this morning that Matthew 26 isn't anything related to Palm Sunday. In fact, this is a passage that happens actually just a few days later on the Wednesday after Jesus' triumphal entry. See, it's in Matthew chapter 21. When Jesus enters in, and as he enters in, he, he's riding the colt. And as he enters in, they lay down their robes. They're waving palm branches. They're celebrating him as he comes in to, to be the great victor. Much to their surprise, the, his victory would be won over death. His victory would be won over sin. And as he comes in, there's the celebration of the King of Kings. And shortly after, in Matthew 22 and Matthew 23, there are these moments where Jesus is telling parables. He's being asked several questions, challenging his authority, challenging even his own deity as the Son of God. And, and there comes this moment at the end of Matthew 23 where there is silence. And it, the scripture says that no one had any more questions, meaning he, he had answered their questions. He had proven his authority. He had proven his divinity. Matthew chapter uh, 24 and 25 Jesus begins to preach and as he is teaching and preaching he's he's on the mount and he's talking about the coming judgment the, the second coming of Christ and, and what that would look like and what would take place. And so we come to Matthew 26 when it says that Jesus had finished all these sayings. There is this transition in the book of Matthew. This transition really, really in the Holy Week itself because the first several days... Jesus is answering the questions of his authority. He's he's teaching. He's ministering. Now we begin to to see this transition where he is moving towards the cross. And this morning, what I want to do for us as we look at Matthew 26 is is I really want to point out really this theme about really Jesus' providential care for his disciples, his providential love for the disciples and for us, and and how that looks, even in our own lives. The fact, really, that Jesus knows. He's preparing the hearts of the disciples for what is about to take place in his death, in his crucifixion, but also in his resurrection. And it's in his knowledge, his foreknowledge of all to take place that that we also see the goodness of God, the love and the mercy and the care and the compassion of Christ in this moment. And so this morning, I really only have two points. And the first one is this, is that Jesus knows. Jesus knows, you'll look again in verse one and two, it says, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Jesus is warning his disciples. He's reminding them, and he is telling them that I will be delivered up. And as he's saying he's, been deli- he's going to be delivered up, there's a recognition that he will be betrayed. He will be crucified. He will die, and he will gloriously resurrect from the dead and as he is preparing their hearts you know when I when I read passages like that when Jesus is reminding them I I'm reminded how Jesus oftentimes has to remind the disciples of so many truths just like this. He is reminding them that he will die. He will be crucified. He will raise from the dead. And I think partly he reminds them often because, quite honestly, we look in the Gospels, they don't get it, right? right? So often Jesus tells them something and it's like it just goes over the head, right? It's like trying to tell your children something that they don't hear it, right? And, and so he's reminding them often but he's also preparing their heart. One of the things I love here is really the fact that Jesus, in his pastoral care, right, the, the heart of a shepherd... How he is looking towards their heart, knowing that he is preparing them, reminding them, telling them what is to take place. So that in Jesus' greatest trial, in his greatest difficulty, here's what I love. Jesus is not concerned for his own being. He is not concerned for his own wealth. He is more concerned for the hearts of the disciples. Looking towards what they would be encountering telling them that this will happen so that their faith would not be destroyed. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 12. I want to look at several passages where Jesus is telling his disciples, he is preparing his disciples, but he, in his foreknowledge, and I think that's important, he knows that this is going to happen. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, no doubt, if, if, if I was a disciple, when, when I would have heard that the first time, I, I probably wouldn't have got it, just being honest. I think we would all say, oh, I, I would have got it then, but we're, we're reading after the fact, right? And so I can, I can understand Maybe them not understanding it in that moment, being somewhat confused about what Jesus is saying. But but even later in the Gospel of John, John mentions that it was after his resurrection that there were many things that Jesus said that began to to click. Right By by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they, they were reminded of various things Jesus had said, and it began to make sense. But what we see is that really Jesus is preparing their hearts. Several times he will say, I will suffer, I will die, I will be crucified, and I will raise from the dead. Look with me in Matthew chapter 16 verse 21. We see this as well. Matthew 16 verse 21 as Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's he's much more explicit here. He says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples That he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Right? Jesus is explicit. He's very clear about what's going to happen. I, I am going to go before the hands of the chief priests, the elders and the scribes. They are going to kill me. I will be crucified, but I will raise from the grave. Matthew chapter 17, if you'll flip over, in verse 9. Verse 9, Jesus says, in this moment of the transfiguration, says, And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Right? You can't rise from the dead if you're not what? Dead, right? That's that's the implication here, right? It's it's this grand moment where here is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, They have seen this glorious moment of Moses and and Elijah and Jesus transfigured. And as they're coming down, Jesus says, don't don't tell anyone until I have risen from the dead. The implication is I'm going to die. But he's even more clear if you look down in verse 12. Verse 12, he says, But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Now he's talking about Elijah and and the suffering he endured. And even as he is talking about this, he's talking about the idea of this Elijah-like ministry of John the Baptist. But he is clearly talking about how he will suffer at their hands. Their hands. Verse 22 and 23, once again, with clarity here. Verse 22 is, As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly Distressed. See, here we see, notice this progression. Every time, Jesus, as he is looking towards the hearts of his disciples, his brothers in the faith, there there is this recognition as he is looking at their own heart and preparing them like a good shepherd, preparing them for what is to come. And in his pastoral kindness, right, he's telling them exactly what is to take place. Even before the triumphal entry in Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 says, And Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, you are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and He will be raised on the third day. We see this progression. Jesus slowly giving them more information about what is to come, what is to take place. And so even before... The the great moment as Jesus enters into Jerusalem in this triumphal entry as the King of kings, He has been preparing their hearts. Even the night before in in, in Matthew 21 or Matthew 20, such a well-known verse, 28, saying that even as the Son of Man came not not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. What Jesus is doing is preparing their hearts. Now, my guess is that for many of us, from the moment you knew Christ, you trusted in Christ for salvation and the repentance of sins, you have known that truth. You have known that Jesus said that he would suffer. He would be crucified and he would be raised from the grave. But have you thought about what that would have meant for Jesus? Have you thought about what that would meant to him daily knowing that this was to take place? Can you imagine every day knowing that you would be bearing the weight of you, your sin, my sin, the sins of the world On his life, bearing the infinite and eternal punishment of sinners on the cross, knowing that even in that moment, the the Father would turn his face away. He would be alone in that moment. The disciples would abandon him. And he knew that. Can you imagine the weight of how that must have felt? Think about. It. I try to think of try to, an example of what this would be like, and it's hard to even begin to grasp what our Savior knew and, and understood before he went to the cross. But imagine that God has called you and your family, and he says, I, I want you and your family. There's a, there's a church plant that is going to, to plant, and it's going to plant in, in, a, in another state, in another city, a city that, that is maybe very crime-ridden. And you go. You follow in obedience to to God's call. And as you follow in obedience to God's call, you and your family, you labor year after year. You're teaching the Word of God. You're, You're showing compassion and the love of Christ towards others. And one day, the very people you have been serving... The very people you have been trying to show the love and the compassion of Christ and teaching the word of God and the need for Christ and the repentance of sins are the very people who kill your entire family, and it's you alone. But imagine that when God gave you that calling, instead of him not telling you that detail, he told you that detail. He told you you would labor for years. He told you the day and the time that your entire family would be killed. He told you how you would be alone in the midst of that. Imagine the weight. I I would dare say, and I include myself, 99% of us probably would not follow God in obedience in that moment. And yet, here is the Son of God in this moment who knows all that is to take place and willingly goes before the cross. You know, it's, it's interesting because Jesus did that and so much more. You look to Isaiah 53 and when Isaiah 53 is describing the, the coming Messiah, talking about Jesus Christ and, and what that would look like in his life, verse 3 talks about how he would be despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Well, was no wonder Right? The Gospels talk about the, the rejection that he would get. It's no wonder you can see the, uh, the man of sorrows, at what he endured, what he lived with on a daily basis, knowing what was to come. Yes, that was the purpose for which he was born, was so that he would die. But have you thought about what that would have meant? But here's what I love about our Savior, among many things is that even in light of that, what is the attribute or the characteristic we see of Jesus Christ most displayed in the Gospels? It's his love. It's his compassion. right? Jesus' knowing of all that was to take place drove him to compassion and love. I'll be honest. If I knew that I was going to bear the weight of the sins of the world on my life, I would be the most sorry individual self there ever was, right? I, I would be the person who utilized that for everything, right? Going to the grocery store. Well, man, would you care to let me go through the line first? You know, it, it's me. I'm going to bear the weight of sin for the world, right? Right? And, you know, In traffic in San Antonio, I would honk my horn, stick my head out and say, it's me right? I'm the one who's going to bear. I would use it for every advantage. We, we, a lot of us would. We would be selfish in that. And that is not at all what our Savior is. Our Savior, knowing that this day would come, it drove him not to selfishness, but rather to infinite compassion for lost sinners. That what we see is that Jesus is overflowing compassion for the lost And for the least of these, Jesus knew what was coming, and it didn't stop him one bit. Everything that was going to happen, he knew, and he willingly went to the cross for lost sinners like you and I, out of love for you and I, as part of the Father's plan. And so we see in this moment, right, Jesus knows but this is really the second point i want to point out is that jesus knows and yet yet he chose yet he still chose right look again at the passage says in that you know that after two days the passover is coming and the son of man will be delivered up to be crucified Then the chief priest and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and to kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And so this passage really makes it abundantly clear that God is sovereign and that God is in control. Even more so in the death of Jesus Christ. We, we see there's this juxtaposition. The religious leaders are saying, we can't do it. Not right now. Let's, let's hold off a little bit. And Jesus is saying, it's going to happen. Repeating that same refrain that this will take place. I will die. In John chapter 13, as Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples as they're taking Passover and the institution of the Lord's Supper, he says that it was the appointed hour that would take place. It's this reminder that God is sovereign. God is in control. And it doesn't matter about the plotting or the scheming of Caiaphas and the religious leaders. At the end of the day, God is in control. And God's timing is perfect. And things will happen according to God's plan as he says it would. We see that. And the disciples... And the early church began to understand that after they had seen the resurrection of Jesus. After the giving of the Holy Spirit, they began to understand this truth of how God's providence and sovereignty in all things, but even more so in the death of Jesus Christ. For instance, Acts chapter 2, as Peter is preaching at Pentecost, Part of the the main point of Peter's sermon is the fact that this was God's plan all along. He says in Acts chapter 2, verse 23 This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter's very clear. God is sovereign. God is in control. This was God's plan. It was the definite plan, right? The the idea that this is firm. It was in his foreknowledge. He knew this would take place. And at the same time, he says that those into the hands of lawless men, they are responsible. Kind of this idea that, that God is sovereign in control, but, but they are responsible for their sins, for their misdeeds, for their actions. That's what, G, what, what Paul or Peter is getting at here. But Paul saw the very same thing. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, one of those, those chapters of scripture, right? Those quintessential chapters. He, he says in verse 32 He who did not spare his own son, But gave him freely, gave him up freely for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When Paul says, gave him up, that word gave him up, it's the exact same word that Jesus is using here in Matthew chapter 26, verse 2, when he says, delivered up. Paradidomi is the Greek word. The idea of handing over or delivering. And what Jesus is saying is in Matthew chapter 26 that I, the Son of Man, will be handed over. And Paul points to and shows the reality that yes, he was handed over, but it was the Father's plan. It was God the Father's plan to hand over Jesus to be crucified. God is in control and i and i want to i want to drive this point home jesus not only knows what is coming but he willingly embraces the cross right jesus was the victim of no one here right john chapter 10 verse 18 jesus is clear no one takes it from me But I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. And I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus was not the victim of Herod. Jesus was not the victim of Pontius Pilate. Jesus is not the victim of the plotting and the scheming of Caiaphas, the religious leaders, and and the scribes in that day. He is not the victim of the Roman government. Jesus is not the victim of the Jewish mob. He is the victim of no man. He willingly lays his life down freely and deliberately. He went to the cross freely and then the passage we see jesus saying i will be delivered up i i will be crucified and the religious leaders saying we can't do it not right now and what happens It happens exactly according to the foreknowledge and the definite plan of God the Father that Jesus is delivered up. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one who chose to die. No one took it from him, but he lays down his life for us. Jesus says, I will bear your sins. So that God the Father would receive the glory and that we would receive the good and everlasting gift of salvation. He willingly embraces the cross. Jesus knows and yet he still chose. Think about the weight of that. Take a moment even just to thank your Savior. Think about the weight that Jesus knew and still chose. That means that Jesus knew the, the torture that was to take place. He, he knew the, the beating he would endure. He knew that he would be mocked. He would be rejected. He, he knew that he would endure the pain of nails in his hands and in his feet. He he knew that he would experience the agony and the pain of the cross. He, He knew that with every breath it would be even more labored and harder. He knew that he would be bearing the weight of your sin and my sin and the sins of the world upon himself. And absolutely alone in that moment as he was deserted by the disciples and because of sin, the Father turned his face away. He knew that and he still chose to do that. But the reality is is, not only that, Jesus knew you and I. He knew our sinful hearts and our attitudes. Jesus knew our most open sin and our deepest, darkest sins. Jesus knew the lying, the cheating, the stealing, the murdering, the adultery, the covetousness, the blasphemy, and on and on we could go. He knew that we would fail him. He knew that we could never live up to God the Father's standard. And Jesus knew all of this, and he still chose to go to the cross for sinners like you and I, so that we could experience the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God through repentance and trust in Christ Jesus. He knows, and yet he still chose. Even as I I think about that, I'm reminded of the hymn, Hallelujah, What a Savior. An older hymn written by a man by the name of Philip Bliss. and, And just some of the lines simply say, Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood, hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he, full atonement can it be, hallelujah. What a Savior. Indeed, we see in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. As we prepare for Easter, we, we see. Jesus' sovereignty, his foreknowledge, he knows, but we also see his care and his compassion and his mercy poured out towards sinners like you and I. So I just want to close with just two simple points of, of application. The, the Kind of the first point of application is an application of growth. Just daily growth as a follower of Christ. If God is in control of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and he is working all things to the glory of God the Father and also our good, it's a reminder that there is no soul-crushing suffering. There is no heartbreak that for those that are in Christ Jesus that can separate you from God's love and purposes in your life. If you are in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Which means when we're going through trials and hardships and difficulties, it's this reminder to trust in God because God is in control. God is sovereign and He is so good. You know, we have a tendency sometimes. That we like to take parts of God's attributes and His characteristics and we want to really cling to the love of God or we really want to cling to the, the justice of God. And what we see throughout scriptures is a way that they run simultaneously together. Right? We, we see both God's sovereignty in the death of Jesus Christ, but we also see God's love for sinners in the death of Jesus Christ. And so even... Even in hardship and in difficulties, we trust that God is in control, but we also trust that God is so good and so faithful. But there's the simple application of of the gospel here. right? Clearly, Jesus is dying on the cross for you and I, for sinners in this world. And and I imagine even in a room in this size, there are people who have never come to a point of faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who have never come to repentance of sins. And I want you to know, That Jesus knew you before the foundations of the earth, even as he hung on the cross and he felt the weight of sin, he was holding on and bearing your sin as well. And he offers forgiveness and he offers grace and mercy. If you come in trust and faith and repentance, he will bring salvation in your life. This this passage, this glory as it is, it reminds us of God's providential care and love. It reminds us of the love of Jesus, that Jesus knows and yet he still chose. It reminds us that God is in control and God deeply cares for you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close this morning.